one of those classic team-building exercises that some of you may, may have come across on management retreats and the like is called the trust fall. As the name implies, it involves trusting and falling. There are plenty of variations, but in essence, they all come down to something like this. You stand facing away from at least one of your colleagues. Your arms can be open or they can be held across your chest. And standing rigidly upright, you tip over backwards on your heels, trusting that your colleagues will catch you before you hit the ground. I have to tell you that in my experience, quite often people fantasize as much about not catching their colleagues as they do about catching them. And of course, there are plenty of lawsuits to indicate that, intentionally or not, people don't always get caught. But, nevertheless, the fundamental aim is this. To demonstrate in a very physical and literal way that your colleagues have your back, that you can rely on them, that you can trust that when you stumble and fall, they will catch you. That's a trust fall. But what does this have to do with today's readings? The word trust doesn't even appear, and no one really seems to fall. Well, let's start with that word trust. Two synonyms for trust are faith and belief. And those do feature prominently in the readings we just heard. In the story of Abraham leaving his ancestral homeland, in St. Paul's retelling of that story, and in the gospel story of Nicodemus, the prominent Pharisee, who comes to visit Jesus at night. Let's look first at the epistle and the retold story of Abraham. On its face, this is a simple story of a man who believed in God, and when God told him to, pulled up his roots and set out into the unknown. But in this retelling, there's actually a lot more going on. Because what's at stake for St. Paul here is not just faith itself, but also the gift that God gives us if we have faith. A gift that is nothing less than the total forgiveness of all our sins and complete reconciliation with God. But what is faith? If pressed to define it, we often end up playing back a circular series of synonyms. To have faith is to believe. To believe is to trust. To trust is, well, to have faith. It's neat, it's circular, but it's not terribly helpful. The author of the letter to the Hebrews, I think, gets a little closer when they write, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Let me repeat that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In these terms, faith becomes something bigger and more important. Crucially, it becomes something active rather than passive. In a sense, it becomes something risky rather than something safe. Here, faith is not simply the belief in a set of rules, nor simply strict adherence to the law of Moses. It's not rote repetition or the incantation of magic words. Faith is not about buildings or objects. Faith in this definition is the acceptance 
No, not the acceptance, the embrace of hope for something we cannot see and belief in a promise we cannot touch. Faith in this definition is a leap into the unknown. In both Genesis and in St. Paul's retelling, Abraham leaves, out, leaves home and sets out into the unknown, not because he has an insurance policy from God in his back pocket, not because he has a down payment on the new land in the bank. He leaves home simply and profoundly because he has faith that God has in mind for him something better. And in the Christian era for St. Paul, that, that faith relates not just to a promised land on earth, nor to strict adherence to the law of Moses. No, now faith is the conviction and assurance that our God loved us so much that he died for us. And through that death, bought for us the forgiveness of our sins and eternal reconciliation with God. Faith, belief, trust, rather than adherence to a written code, faith is what we have in God, what we give to God. And in giving it, our eyes are open to what God has given us, what he has bought for us through that death on the cross. But there's still even more going on in this passage from Romans because Paul contrasts not just this living, vibrant, risky faith with a rules-based, safer, limited faith. He also contrasts faith with good works, charity, whatever you want to call it, between what are essentially two different ways of believing. I'm not here going to get into the sterile arguments of half-remembered 16th-century debates, but what is important is that Paul says that one of these puts you right with God and the other one puts you wrong. Faith, that acceptance and conviction of things hoped for but not seen, puts us right with God and prepares us to accept his gift. But good works, the belief that we can earn our own reward, that we deserve that reward, that puts us wrong with God and will actually distance us from God's gift of, he of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, of course, at one level, this is completely counterintuitive. By human standards, it seems obvious to us that those striving to do good should be more worthy of a gift than those simply who accept it, should be honored, should be rewarded. But in fact, it truly is the other way around. And let me suggest three reasons why. And these are crucial to understanding Paul's message. First, in focusing on good works, we instead intend, in fact, to focus on ourselves. It reinforces our belief that we have earned God's gift through our own efforts. Now, we should, of course, do good things, but they should flow from our faith not replace it. Because if we focus on good works, then while the external effects of those may still be highly beneficial, inside we end up reinforcing our ego, not our faith. The more we think we've done for ourselves, the less we realize what God has done for us. 
Now, the second way that we can put ourselves wrong with God if we focus on good works is if it allows us to brush under the carpet our own deficiencies, our imperfections, our sins, if you will. We don't acknowledge our faults because we tell ourselves they are outweighed by our virtue. And so they fester and stew below our apparently virtuous exterior. Third, and most importantly perhaps, reliance on good works misses the essential point. God wants us to be reconciled to him. He wants to forgive our sins, but he wants to give that as, to us as a gift, not as a reward. And he wants to give it to everyone, to everybody, not just a select few. All anyone has to do is to have faith. You don't have to be perfect or special or super virtuous to be forgiven. It can't be earned. It can only be given. And to receive it, you just have to believe. To bring this back to the trust fall for a moment, what St. Paul is saying to us is that if you trust God, then however often, however badly, however repeatedly you fall, God will catch you and set you back up on your feet. But if you don't have that trust, if you believe that through your own efforts you can avoid falling or can avoid hitting the ground or at least can avoid hitting it too hard, then you will always fail because you cannot catch yourself. By definition, only someone else can catch you. And that's also what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not a bad man, but he can't grasp the concept of the trustful, of the need to believe that God freely saves rather than God acknowledges all of his hard work and will reward him accordingly. Nicodemus will fail, this story tells us, because even with the Son of God right there, in front of his face, making these promises to him, he does not have faith. He won't make that leap. He doesn't understand that he needs to trust God to catch him when he falls as he inevitably will. But the idea of, catching, of God catching you in his arms does, I admit, sound a little abstract. So let me make it more real if I can. Because that's what church is about. Yes, we're certainly here to worship. Yes, we are certainly here to praise. But what we are primarily here for is to be in relationship. Relationship with God, to be sure. But with each other, just as much. We show our love for God in our love for each other. And we give ourselves and others a glimpse of that better future, of those hoped-for unseen things, by being the arms that catch others now, today, right here on Earth, right here in Washington, D.C., right here in Lafayette Square. In this place, we are all forgiven. 
all loved whenever we fall, be it frequently or infrequently. Whether it's illness that knocks us over or an accident or bereavement or a broken relationship or mistreatment or a ghastly job. Whether it's our own carelessness or stupidity or credulousness or neediness or anger or greed, we come here knowing that we won't hit the ground because others around us will catch us. St. Teresa of Avila talks about God now having no hands on earth but ours, no eyes, no feet but ours. And your hands in this church are the ones that will reach out to catch others. And theirs, their hands, will be the ones into which you safely fall. We should never, never come here trusting in our own goodness. But we should always come here trusting in the goodness of others. Look around you now. Look to your right and to your left. See those hands the hands of your neighbors, the hands of God on earth. That is church. We come here, broken as we are, certain and confident that our neighbors around us will always, always catch us. We come here to fall with trust. We come here in faith. Amen.